Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Take your Bibles, please. This morning we return to a series that we've embarked upon in the book of John, Gospel of John. We're in chapter 3. We're entitling this message, It's Not About Me, or you could say it's not about you either. A course entitled, Christ is Our Life. Really, our key verse for this particular study is John 20 and verse 31. That these truths, John writes, in the Gospel of John are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. This is a a uniquely positioned uh, book in the Bible, not that it's unique in terms of its authorship, but this book was written that you might believe and that believing you might have what? Life. Life, not just uh, abundant life, rich life, full of experience. No, life in Christ. He will bring you to new life. And so John is really the book of life. We find ourselves Here in John chapter 3, towards the end of the chapter, Christ has by now, as you know, if you've been following us in our study, Christ has by now been introduced to the world, the Jewish community, as what? There is the Lamb of God, which what? Taketh away the sin of the world. What a wonderful proclamation that was by John the Baptist. I have a problem, as you do as well, it's not political, it's not global warming, it's not high taxes, sometimes these things bother me, but I have a sin problem. Looking out at you, I understand you do as well. Wasn't it great that John was able to introduce the one that is the solution to our sin problem? There goes the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I needed a Savior. So do you. John introduced, John the forerunner, John the Baptist introduced, had the privilege of introducing Jesus, who was long expected, long awaited, yet not recognized by many. The answer to our sin, O glorious day, the hymn says, when Jesus washed my sins away, he is the lamb slain. Well, then we saw that Jesus, as he began his, that's really where the gospel of John begins, where Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, was sent after proclaimed or introduced to the Jewish community. He is sent or driven away by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness, where he was tempted for 40 days. Of course, he passed those tests with flying colors, and he returns to begin his earthly ministry. He cleanses the temple. He collects to his side his chosen disciples, those 12 who will follow him closely throughout his earthly ministry. He goes to Cana. Remember that story? Where in Cana, he turns water into wine, the large washing pots that were really there for cleansings were filled by God's miraculous power with new wine, new grape juice that shocked the host of the ceremony. We've never tasted anything this good And of course, Jesus was given credit for that miracle. And then after that, he has a discussion that's very vital and important. As a a religious leader comes to him at nighttime, probably afraid of what others would think or say, and they have a long discussion about what 
new birth really is. You can't manufacture it. You can't just hope it into being. It is the miraculous work of God that occurs in the heart. And it's not because of our works. It is not because of our religious background. It is because we cry out to God in faith, believing in Christ as a miracle inside of us and gives to us His new nature. And he explains that to this confused religious leader called Nicodemus. Now, that's where we are when we come to the portion of Scripture before us. After these things, after these occurrences, it says that Jesus finds His ministry intersecting with the ministry of John the Baptist. We see in this context the fading or the declining, the diminishing ministry of John the Baptist and his following, and the enlargement and the burgeoning, rising ministry of Christ. And there is this exchange where both of them are in a similar area and doing similar things. The message is the same. The kingdom is now here. Christ is here. And so there are some that come to him with questions. The word in our text here, John was baptizing, verse 23, also baptizing and anon near Salim because there was much water there. The word anon, uh, there's a couple of places that this could have been, but both of those places, the word anon has to do with springs of water. There's a lot of water there, more than needed just for a sprinkling. These were, uh, this was a baptism by immersion, and they were coming to be baptized. Verse 24 says, John was not yet in prison. You know, I just as an aside want to tell you about a God-ordained, God-called preacher. I know some of you know the story of John the Baptist. The Lord would call John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11, the greatest prophet ever born of a woman. Now you think about that. John was given one of the highest accolades by Jesus Christ himself. And yet you see in this context, his ministry is beginning to be diminished. As the sun rises, you put candles away. And John's calling was to introduce folks. There he is. And they're both baptizing together. So verse 25, there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying and just so you know, this does, the, the, the baptism that was in place there, that they were, sometimes there's a question about that. Well, isn't baptism something that we do in the church? And the church had not yet at this point been instituted. It had not yet been organized under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so really what you're seeing here is a rite that was practiced in those days. It was really symbolic of an introduction to something when you were baptized you are either introducing yourself to the Jewish faith or to some new reality. And so the kingdom of Christ, and John is preaching. Can you remember what John's message was? Not only is theirs the Christ, but you are to repent and believe in Him. No longer are you to be attached to the old covenant, the old system, the Mosaic code and laws. Christ is here. Repent of your sins. Believe in Him. Follow him. And so he was baptizing folks into this new kingdom, this new reality that Christ is here. The law was never sufficient 
nor is ceremonial cleansings, but there was a symbolic lesson in the baptism here that preceded the one that's Christian baptism that we celebrate in the church. When we baptize someone in this pool behind me, as Romans 6 reminds us, we are baptizing them into the finished reality, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Water can't save you. It just identifies the spiritual reality that you were saved by faith, by the grace of God, by the resurrected power of God. You who were dead in sins were made alive. So if it was, if it was water that made us holy or purified us, sometimes I'll get this where we're calling on folks. Well, I've been baptized. How do you, how do you know you're going to heaven? I've been baptized. Water can't save you. But it's a symbol of what God did, the saving work that's internal. Well, they were baptized, and, they came, and really the question wasn't about the, so many ceremonial baptism in the Mosaic Code for the priesthood and, other, and even the layman. That's why there were water pots for washing, ceremonial cleansing at the wedding in Cana. So they're asking about this purification, but really the question was, you see that in verses 25 and beyond, there arose a question about John's disciples and about purifying, and then they came to John, and, and they, they whispered to him, Master, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan, that man that you baptized and proclaimed to be Christ, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men are coming to him. This is a little bit of hyperbole. Certainly not all were coming, but more are going after Christ than after you, John, interesting as John hears this we are told this is before John is cast into prison John was the kind of preacher that wasn't afraid to step on toes we, we find preaching today teaching today that's very positive and building and uh, it's really a pep rally there's not a lot of gospel in it some places and it's not a lot of message about sin, but John the Baptist, bless his heart, <laughs> didn't mind leveling the boom, so to speak. Did you know why John got beheaded? John was willing to preach the truth about the um, insufficiency of the law to save us, about the preeminence of Christ, and he wasn't afraid to pick on the politicians that were sinning and the Christians that were sinning and the religious leaders that were sinning. God help us to have preachers that preach the whole counsel of God and aren't afraid. He lost his head, literally, because he preached against Herod Antipas and his illicit relationship to his brother's ex-wife and his direct preaching that was filled with epitaphs like, you brood of vipers who has told you to flee from the wrath to come. He's speaking to the religious leaders. And then he dared to pick on the political leaders. He looked at uh, King Herod and says, you're, you're just living in sin. And that so exercised, of course, Herod's wife that he asked, she asked for his head on a charger. John was a powerful preacher, called to the rural communities, dressed in robes of camel's hair. His diet was unusual. His voice echoed and boomed through the valleys of the mountains, and people followed him by flocks. And now he was realizing that 
more and more he was seeing less and less people follow him. As now, folks were flocking to, to find Christ. And so these Jews began to ask him now. They whispered, nudged him. John, have you noticed how your crowds are lessening while the crowds that are following Jesus are growing exponentially? Well, we see then, I think, just some wonderful principles for us to take home. First of all, the humility, the humility, verse 26, of John. Here they come. Why is it? Now, we know from chapter 4, verse 2, that Jesus himself did not baptize folks, but his disciples were baptizing folks into the same reality that John's disciples were baptizing. There wasn't a duplicitous message. It's just that now people were recognizing, as John pointed them to Christ, that they were following Christ. Did you know as far as humility goes, and I appreciate the choir reminding us that God keeps the books. God knows what you're doing. God will not let any good turn go unrewarded. God knows your heart, and God knows the deal. And, and here this wonderful preacher who had been so sought after now, it looked like no one at least not many, as many, were following. You know, it's the work of the devil to sow in the minds of ministry leaders the notion that the work of church building, the promotion of the gospel is somehow a contest, right? Well, you hear this little voice, especially if you're a pastor of a church and pastored very long, that church is booming, it's larger, they have a better this or a better that, did you know there's no place for jealousy in ministry? There isn't. Verse 26 says, all men are coming to him, Jesus. What do you think about that, John? You must not be as effective anymore. Nothing is as insidious, destructive in your life as the belief that it's all about you. And so the really the tendency to personality and pride cults begins. There is a slow growth inside of us when we believe it's up to us to stir up crowds, to follow us. John did not have that attitude. Slowly, this attitude tells us that the world revolves around, the ministry revolves around us. And what would happen if we are taken out of the picture? Somebody said this, just put your hand in a bucket of water, preacher, and pull it out, and that hole that's left is about what your impact is what's on others. That's about it. John could have said, I can't believe this. I'm the one. People ought to be following. I heard about the pastor who was voted the most humble man in America. His congregation even fashioned a gold medal with that statement on it. Most humble pastor in America. And then they took it away from him the next Sunday because he decided to wear it to church. Are you proud because you're humble? Jonathan Edwards, the great American revivalist, once said, the best protection one can have against the devil and his schemes 
is a humble heart. We all need a pride deflector, don't we? Every week, the devil whispers to me, have you noticed the empty pews at Bible Baptist? That's all he does. He comes by and says that. And I begin thinking, well, maybe we're not doing something right. Maybe we need a more flashy this. Maybe my wife tells me that you need to change your hairstyle. Maybe it'll help. <laughs> but I was born with this hairstyle. Maybe you ought to change up your music. Maybe, maybe you ought to get a camel's hair jacket and eat honey and wild locusts. Maybe, what is it? And we begin to think it's about us. I love John's humility. As Christ's star begins to rise and his begins to wane, and he hears this little statement, they're baptizing more. Doesn't that bother you? His answer is wonderful and instructive to us today. Look at verse 27. John, first of all, says, results are God's. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given to him from heaven. Results are God-ordained. God's calling to me is to do what He's commanded to me to do faithfully. And when He's done with me, He will set me aside because the cause is always greater than the man. And God's calling for us is to go, to evangelize, and to do our best while we can, while we have life. And God will take care of the results and the Lord is not at all unimpressed with John or disappointed with John. I already mentioned that in Matthew 11, he says, this man is the greatest born of a woman. Wow. And yet he's humble in spirit. John doesn't boast in his calling or accomplishments as he hears that his crowd is beginning to wane. He doesn't concern himself with his decreasing popularity. So what? If I be diminished, it's not about me. Verse 28, he reminds them, it's always been my job to refer, to defer, to prefer Christ. I am not, verse 28, follow there in your Bibles, you yourselves bear witness of me that I said earlier, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. I am called to point others to Jesus. So you and I must continually deflect praise, for all praise belongs rightfully to Christ. We tend to be praise magnets. We love, 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 love the sound of our own name. We love, don't we, plaques and affirmations and awards. and We live for that. John could have said, now wait a minute. I've got a more powerful voice than Christ does in terms of just its resonance. Listen to me. I'm heard, loved, and I'm bolder, and I'm all this and that. And he doesn't. He said, I, I, I've told you from the beginning that I am not the Christ. I'm just pointing people to Jesus. And folks, that's what you're called to do. selfishly, and I'm no different than you are, we love 
don't we? We love to be appreciated. And I, when we walked into the house all the way there in Salt Lake City, these three little munchkins, our grandkids, came running to us, just hollering out, Grampy's here! Grammy's here! Because <laughs> we have these little video chats with them, and they recognize our... We don't get out there a lot. It's a long way. But when, when those little voices and those little feet came running, and they, they just launched themselves into my arms, there was this warm feeling. It's great to know that I'm loved by these little guys and all I did was brought them plastic toys. That's it. Grampy's here. Boom. Do you know that John said, I want you to see it's not me. Do not become attracted and affected with me or to me, I want you to know that it is about Christ and He doesn't come bringing plastic toys. His gifts are eternal. His gifts are supernatural. His gifts are everlasting. He's loved you with an everlasting love. He's here in the flesh. My job is to point you to see Him. You know something, when we think about church ministries and I guess at the end of the month, we're going to have just what I call a vision Sunday. Here's, here's my vision in a nutshell. It is that when people come in the doors of our church, are you listening? It is that when people come in the doors of our church, whichever door they choose, they come in and they sit down here, they are so impressed with Jesus. And they're compelled by the community of saints here to launch themselves deeper into the study of the one that has favored them with every kindness from on high, that died for them in their place, that is the solution for their sin. Don't ever let it be about you or me or a program. Let it be about Jesus Christ. When they leave, May they say, if they're a first-time visitor or not, Jesus Christ was exalted there. Jesus is the answer. The Lamb of God was there, the giver of life, the joy of man's desiring, the forgiver of sins, the everlasting King of kings, the Lord of lords. And John the Baptist knew that, so he looked at his followers who were diminishing, and the Jews who were asking, does it bother you? I love the humility of John. He said, there's a divine necessity. He must increase, and I must decrease. It's not about me, John says. It is about the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he uses a a wonderful illustration, he places himself in the next few verses, verse 29, he uses this very common illustration, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the, the best man, even in that culture, there was one who stood alongside the bridegroom, who actually brought the bride to the ceremony, he was the best man, so to speak. 
He standeth and heareth him. He rejoiced greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. At the appearance of the bride, thus therefore my joy is fulfilled. He says this, I, I'm just the one that's a, the wedding attended. I'm in the party. I happen to be the one God's called uh, to point the way and say, there's the, there's the bridegroom, and I'm just rejoicing now that he's connecting with his bride. And it was, uh, even in those days, you know, culturally, the bride, the, the, the best man, even if the wedding never panned out, and the wedding uh, was just set aside, and they decided not to marry after all, there was a cultural expectation that the best man could never, ever uh, marry the, the bride. And that's why Samson was so shocked when his Philistine bride was given to the best man. It was just, it was unthinkable, scandalous. And so John says, I'm not the Christ. I'm just here to tell you about him. And I rejoice in his joy. The bride here in this sense is... Israel, there's a connection in the Old Testament still in this dispensation of transition. He's here, and you are His chosen people, and I'm here to tell you that's the Messiah. Rejoice in that. Rejoice with me in that realization. As John minister, John's ministry is phasing out, the realization that Christ was on the scene is the fulfillment of all the desire of time and eternity. We see that in verse 29. As he says this, I'm just the friend. I'm rejoicing alongside. My joy is fulfilled in my Lord's, my Master's joy. All my joys are fulfilled in that. John has by now directed a large crowd to come to both expect Christ and to anticipate and now to see Him and to follow Him. He's deflecting. He's deferring, setting aside his own congregants, so to speak, to push them to Christ. That's his humility. Leon Morris said the measure of John's greatness is that he knew his purpose was not his own popularity. Isn't that good? It's not about John. It's about Jesus. It is then the goal of every God-appointed preacher to gather folks around the worship of Christ and not of themselves. I want you to secondly see that Christ's uh, Christ's supremacy, not only John's humility, but Christ, Christ's supremacy. John has already said, he must increase. For this to be a God, uh, a God-centered church, Christ must be honored, not the musicians, not the preacher, not the programs. Christ himself must increase, and I must decrease. And then he says this, here's how we know that Christ is supreme, different from John. He says in verse 31, he's coming from above. He that is of the earth is earthly. Speaking of himself, everybody, he's not talking about things that are immoral, evil, illicit, not at all. He said, I'm just a human. He that cometh from heaven is above all. He's supreme over all. We're not in the same category. I'm not worthy to even lace his sandals. We're not even comparable that way, he said. I want to point you to Christ, the one who can satisfy your heart's deepest needs. And then he goes on to say this, he that, And what he hath seen and heard, that he testified. No man 
receiveth his testimony. He's again speaking a little bit with hyperbole here, saying this is the last recorded message we have of John the Baptist. He's, he's saying it, here's a general reality that the natural man receiveth not the things of God because he cannot. He's, he's lost, he's blind, he's away from God, he's separated by his sin. And he's saying he, he's seen that what we've seen and heard, he testified. No man, chapter 1, I believe, 9 and 11, he came unto his own. And what did his own do? His own received how how fascinating this is. When the bridegroom comes to the wedding, the bride is Jews are rejecting him. For he whom for he whom, verse 34, God hath sent, speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. This is one who, because he is God, comes from God, shares the same attributes, characteristics, nature, purpose, and plan. He is by every measure, God Himself, the human reflection of God Himself is Christ in the flesh. He can never speak a word out of character. He never speaks an unkind or untrue, unnecessary word. Because everything He's done or is doing, we could add a, a layer here of truth, the Father has sent Him. You see that. Verse 34, for he whom the Father hath sent, he's on a mission. He's not here on a pleasure cruise or he's an exploratory walk over the earth. He's not here just to check things out on a trial mission. He is God-ordained, God-sent. This Jesus is here on purpose. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He's on a mission. He's not like me. He's supreme, divine, Lord over all. And so in my humility, I'm pointing you to Christ and saying, what you need is Jesus, not me. So he points us to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He comes, verse 31, from above and he is above all. Greek word there, anothen. There's one of heavenly origin. He is above all else. He is not an earthling like me. He says, that is who He is. He is supreme. How inconceivable then for one who made it all, owns it all, when coming to His own creation is not loved at all or recognized at all. The truth is re-echoed or echoed again in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Lord, for they are foolishness unto Him. If you're here without Christ this morning, there is a blindness in you, a deadness in you, but I implore you to cry out to Christ who can give you life, could bring you to life. Verse 32 says, no man receives his testimony. Verse 33 gives us some hope. He that does receive, there is an exception to the no one is listening rule. Thank God for that. Verse 33, he that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. What does that phrase, set to his seal, mean? It means this, that if you are a believer this morning, you have a confidence that every word of God is true. Something drew you to a church, something drew you to a, perhaps an evangelistic campaign, a Sunday school or a VBS, 
and you heard the words of God and there was in your spirit that response that said, these are God's words. That's not a man saying that. God's word is spoken. And I need that God. If you remember well, that conviction settled on your soul until you cried out in faith and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Please, would you save me for your own glory namesake? And so there is that inner testimony. And that little phrase, hath set to his seal, simply means you've signed off on this. You've put a stamp of approval on this. And in your heart of hearts, you know there's this amen to the amen of God. And you realize that God is speaking through his word. And, and you're a believer now in the word of God and in the person of God. Of God. Verse 34, for he whom God hath sent, again, that's a word, a phrase that John repeats 30 times, the sending nature of God the Father to the Son. Last Sunday, uh, we recognize that God is sending Joe and Hallie to another place with the same message we preach here. But God is the sender and so the mission, if God sends us, we see His supply and His strength and His Spirit. It's His mission. It's not our mission to send them. God already prompted Joe to go and Hallie to go. And they're sent with His commission, His power and strength. Uh, he who God hath sent, Jesus, speaks God's Word. And uh, that's how you test a real preacher, for God hath not given the Spirit by man. And He's different. He's supreme for me. He says, God has not given the Spirit by measure, because certainly the Spirit of God, the triune God is at work in the, in, in the person of Christ. And then we see the conclusion of this, we see the security. John's humility, Christ's supremacy, and then the believer's security. We do know that this is a, a time in Christ's ministry where he's very popular. There'll be a time where he's not. But Christ doesn't change His mission. He's still sent with the same mission regardless of how many people are listening. Now, next Sunday, we may have a handful here. We may have just a family of Hispanic. We're praying for more than that. But it doesn't matter how many come or how many don't come. Our mission is the same, to love on the souls of lost folks who come and hopefully disciple them and see them grow and well, the last thing I want you to see is a verse some of you have memorized, John 3, 36. What's the security you have and I have? He that believeth, just two categories of folks in church today, those that are genuine believers and those that are not. And here's the future. By the way, you don't just get annihilated when you die. You don't just turn into nothing. There is an eternal damnation. There's eternal joy. It's a theme that runs through Scripture. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. Aren't you glad? He that believeth not, that second use of the word belief in that particular verse is different than the first one. The first one, of course, is to appropriate mentally the truths by faith of the word. The second one, he that believeth, and they're both connected in thought and in heart. He that believeth, second word in the Greek is, he that obeyeth not. The Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will continually abide upon him. So belief that simply cries a tear 
and nods its head with mental assent and never goes on to obey the Scriptures, never goes on to obey the Word of God, is not true belief. You only believe that which activates you. And both concepts are tied together in this verse. He says this, genuine belief. Those, there are people hearing the message of John the Baptist, the message of Christ, and they're coming and they're agreeing and they're believing and they're being changed in their actions. Those are they that will not come, Romans chapter 5, Romans 8, under the condemnation, speaking of end time judgment and eternal damnation of God, that there are those that will, who hear, who listen, and turn away and maybe even say, yes, I believe, or yes, I was baptized back yonder, but their life has never changed. Those will be under the condemnation of Christ. So you are either genuine this morning or there has been an internal change by the work of God. And what a prospect you have to look forward to. Harry Ironside, I'll close with this, was talking about a friend of his that had an experience, a pastor, and there's a lady that came out of the church and a message was about salvation, about how a life could be changed by the grace and glory of God. She shook her pastor's hand at the end of the service. And uh, he, asked, he asked her this question. She seemed troubled, and so he asked her, why is it that you seem discouraged this morning and troubled? And he says, are you sure that you're saved? We had a pastor one time that would ask us at the end of the service, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that you're saved? These things are written that you might know that you have everlasting life. And she looked at him and said, I, I, I don't know, sir. I hope so. So he quoted this verse in John chapter 3, at least the first part of it. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. So he asked her, did you ever in your life put your faith and trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ? And she said, oh, yes, sir, with all my heart, I did that then do you have everlasting life or not? And she quietly said, well, sir, I, 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 I hope so. And so he said, oh, let's, let's stop here. There's people backing up a little bit as the story goes. And she says, he said to her, dear lady, let's read this verse again. Opening his Bible, he read it for her. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Uh, lady, did you believe? Yes. Do you have life? Well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe so. I hope I do. I really hope so. So he stops her. And he says, I know what the problem is, ma'am. She said, you do? What? Why am I afraid? So insecure. He said, I think it's a, a grammar problem in your grade school. We went to different schools, apparently. She said, what do you mean? Well, he said, the school where you learned to read spelled H-A-T-H as W-I-S-H. But in my grammar school, hath was spelled hath. <laughs> he that believeth in the Son with all of his heart in the finished work of what Jesus did for you has everlasting life. Not maybe so. Not down the road, maybe, not wish for. No, 
If God said it, you can believe it. Because God accomplished the work on Calvary for you and you are secure because of His promises, not your grasp upon them. It is His promise to you. So if you have believed by faith, you will one day be ushered into the presence of the Lord. John 5, 24, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, not maybe might have, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed, not might be passed, but is passed from death unto life. No maybes about it. Our security rests in God's finished work and His final word. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.